Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapters 27 and 28 of The Pawn's Count by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter 27 Fisher, as he waited for Pamela the following afternoon in the sitting-room of her flat on 58th Street, felt that although the practical future of his life might be decided in other places, it was here that its real climax would be reached. Pamela herself was to pronounce sentence upon him. He was feeling scarcely at his best. An examination in the courthouse, which he had imagined would last only a few minutes, had been protracted throughout the afternoon. The district attorney had asked him a great many questions, some rather awkward ones, and the inquiry itself had been almost grudgingly adjourned for a few hours. And here in Pamela's sitting-room the first things which caught his eye were the headlines of one of the afternoon papers. Western millionaire engages the girl Hesta's murderer as chauffeur. Attempted murder and suicide in Fifth Avenue last night. Fisher pushed the newspaper impatiently away, and in the act of doing so the door was opened and Pamela entered. She came towards him with outstretched hand. "'I see you are looking at the account of your misdeeds,' she said as she seated herself behind a tea-tray. "'Will you tell me why a cautious man like you engages, without reference, a chauffeur who turns out to be a murderer?' Fisher frowned irritably. For four hours, he complained, several lawyers and a most inquisitive police captain have been asking me the same question in a hundred different ways. I engaged the man because I needed a chauffeur badly. He was to have brought his references this morning. I was only trusting him for a matter of a few hours. And during those few hours, she observed, he seems to have developed a violent antipathy to Mr. Lutchester. I do not understand the affair at all, Mr. Fisher declared and, if I may say so, I am a little weary of it. I came here to discuss another matter altogether. She leaned back in her place. "'What have you come to discuss, Mr. Fisher?' "'That depends so much upon you,' he replied. "'If you give me any encouragement, I can put before you a great proposition. If your prejudices, however, remain as I think they always have been, on the side of England, why, then I can do nothing. If I counter for anything,' Pamela said. I mean to say that if it mattered to anyone what my attitude was, I would start by admitting that my sympathies are somewhat on the side of the Allies. On the other hand, my sympathies amount to nothing at all compared with my interest in the welfare of the United States. I am perfectly selfish in that respect. Then you have an open mind to hear what I have to say, Fisher remarked. I am glad of it. You encourage me to proceed." "'That is all very well,' Pamela said, stirring her tea. "'But I cannot help asking once more why you come to me at all. What have I to do with any proposition you may have to make?' "'Just this,' he explained. "'I have a serious and authentic proposition to make to the American government. I cannot make it officially, although it comes from the highest of all sources, for the most obvious reasons. It may seem better worth listening to today, perhaps, 
than a week ago, so far as you are concerned. That is because you believed in British invincibility upon the sea. I never did. Go on, please, Pamela begged. I am still waiting to realize my position in all this. I should like, Fisher declared, my proposition to reach the President through Senator Hastings, and Senator Hastings is your uncle. I see, Pamela murmured. My offer is a very simple one, Fisher continued. Your secret service is so bad that you probably know nothing of what is happening. Ours, on the other hand, is still marvelously good and what I am going to tell you is surely the truth. Japan is accumulating great wealth. She is saving her ships and men for one purpose and one purpose only. Europe could not bribe her highly enough to take a more active part in this war. Her price was one which could not be paid. She demanded a free hand with the United States. This, Pamela admitted, is quite interesting, but it is entirely in the realms of conjecture, is it not? not wholly fisher insisted at the proper time i should be prepared to bring you evidence that tentative proposals were made by japan to both england and france asking what would be their attitude should she provide them with half a million men and undertake transport if at the conclusion of the war she desired a settlement with the united states the answer from france and england was the same that they could not countenance an inimical attitude towards the states you are bound to admit then pamela remarked that england played the game here the bribe was not big enough fisher replied dryly england would sell her soul but not for a mess of pottage to proceed however japan has practically kept out of the war she is enjoying a prosperity never known before and for every million pounds worth of munitions she exports to russia she puts calmly on one side twenty-five per cent to accumulate for her own use at the conclusion of the war she will be in a position she has never occupied before, and while the rest of the world is still gasping, she will proceed to carry out what has been the dream of her life, the invasion of your western states. "'I admit that this is plausible,' Pamela confessed, "'but you are only pointing out a very obvious danger for which I imagine that we are already fairly well prepared.' "'Believe me,' Fisher said earnestly, "'you are not. It is this fact which makes the whole situation so vital to you. Later on in our negotiations I will show you proof of your danger. Meanwhile, let me proceed to the offer which I am empowered to make, which comes direct from the one person in Germany whose word is unshakable. Pamela changed her position a little, as though to escape from the sunlight which was finding its way underneath the broad blinds. Her eyes were fixed upon her visitor. She listened intently to every word he had to say. Despite some vague feeling of mistrust, which she acknowledged to herself might well have been prejudiced, she found the situation interesting, even stimulating. Her few excursions into the world of high politics had never brought her into such a position as this. She felt both flattered and interested, attracted too in some nameless way by the man's personality, his persistence, his daring, his wholeheartedness. The situation was instinct with interest to her. "'But why make it me?' she murmured. "'You are to be my delegate,' he answered. "'Take the substance of what I say to you, to your uncle. Try, for your country's sake, to interest him in it. The offer which I make shall save you a vast amount of sacrifice. It shall save your dislocating the industries of the country 
and sowing the seeds of a disturbing and yet inadequate militarism. I offer you, in short, a German alliance against Japan. The value of that offer, Pamela remarked thoughtfully, would depend rather upon the issue of the present war, wouldn't it? Fisher's face darkened. His tone was almost irritable. That is already preordained, he said firmly. You see, I will be quite frank with you. Germany has lost her chance of sweeping and complete victory. The result of the war will be a return to the status quo ante. Yet, believe me, Germany will be strong enough to settle some of the debts she owes, and the debt to Japan is one of these. Still, there is the practical question of getting men and ships over from Germany to America, Pamela persisted. It is already solved, was the swift reply. At the proper time I will show you and prove how it can be done. At present not one word can pass my lips. It is one of the secrets on which the future of Germany depends. And the price? Pamela asked. That America adopts our view as to the high seas traffic, Fisher replied. This would mean the stopping of all supplies, munitions, and ammunition from America to England. We offer you an alliance. We ask only for your real and actual neutrality for the remainder of the war. We offer a great and substantial advantage, a safeguard for your country's future. In return for what? Simply that America will pursue the course of honor and integrity to all nations. America, Pamela declared, has never failed in this. Fisher shrugged his shoulders. There is more than one point of view, he reminded her. Will you take my message with you to Washington tomorrow? Yes, Pamela promised. I will do that. The rest, of course, remains with others. I do not myself go so far even, she added, as to declare myself in sympathy with you. And yet, he insisted with swift violence, it is your sympathy which I desire more than anything in the world. Your sympathy, your help, your companionship, a little, a very little at first, of your love. I am afraid that I am not a very satisfactory person from that point of view, Pamela confessed. I have a great sympathy with every man who is really out for the great things. But so far as you are concerned, Mr. Fisher, or anyone else, she went on after a moment's hesitation, I have no personal feeling. That shall come, he declared. Then please wait a little time before you talk to me again like this, she said, rising and holding out her hand. At present there is no sign of it. "'There is so much that I could offer you,' he pleaded, gripping the hand which she had given him in farewell. "'So much that I could do for your country. Believe me, I am not talking idly.' "'I do believe that,' she admitted. "'You are a very clever man, Mr. Fisher, and I think that you represent all that you claim. Perhaps if we really do negotiate—' "'But you must,' he interrupted impatiently. "'You must listen to me for every reason, politically for your country's sake.' personally, because I shall offer you and give you happiness and a position you could never find elsewhere. For a moment her eyes seemed to be looking through him, as though some vision of things outside the room were troubling her. Her finger had already touched the bell, and a servant was standing upon the threshold. We shall meet in Washington, Mr. Fisher concluded, with an air of a prophet, as he took his leave. End of chapter 27 Chapter 28 it was within half an hour of closing time that same afternoon when Lutchester walked into James Van Tail's office. The young man greeted him with some surprise. "'Will you do some business for me?' Lutchester asked, without any preliminaries. "'Sure.' "'How many Anglo-French will you buy for me?' 
I can obtain credit by cable tomorrow through any bank for twenty or thirty thousand pounds. You want to buy Anglo-French? Van Tail repeated softly. His visitor nodded. Any news? Lutchester hesitated, and Van Tail continued with an apologetic gesture. I beg your pardon. That's not my job, anyway, to ask questions. I'll buy you twenty-five thousand if you like. Guess they can. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.